How do I know what I think until I see what I say? I'm your host, Jacob Goronsky, and welcome to From the Green Notebook, where we create leaders one podcast at a time. So if you don't feel like reading a blog today, then sit back and listen as we discuss some of the most important topics and talk with some of the most innovative leaders of today. So please subscribe and make sure you listen to these exclusive episodes. Today's episode is sponsored by Emblem Athletic, the best option out there for keeping your unit looking amazing with custom shirts, hoodies, and other gear. They're a veteran-owned business that specializes in making it easy for you. And if you've ever ordered unit gear, you know how difficult it can be. Emblem knows you have better things to do than design gear, collect money, and worst of all, sort through a bunch of shirts. Emblem takes care of everything, including, get this, free shipping worldwide. When it comes to something like a deployment shirt, you know you're going to have this for the rest of your life. So trust Emblem to deliver the best, guaranteed. Visit www.emblemathletic.com to get started with a free online store today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're listening from. And welcome to another episode of From the Green Notebook. Today, Joe and I are sitting down with Jerry DePizzo, a member of the band Of a Revolution, or OAR. Today's episode is a bit special for me because I've been following Jerry and I've been listening to OAR for the past 20 years, and I've known Jerry for about 10 of those years. So when I reached out to him and I asked him if he'd like to come on the show and talk about leadership within a group, or in this case, leadership within a band, he was all for it. And he offers some great advice on how to navigate those relationships when you have to do what's best for the group, despite what your personal feelings may be. Jerry also talks about being authentic and how sometimes authenticity will actually get you further than greatness. Jerry also takes the time to talk to us about how he balances his work life and his family life. So please welcome to the show, Jerry DePizzo. Jerry, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Did you start off maybe by telling us a little bit about yourself and, and uh, how you got into the music business and, and how OER was created? Sure. Uh, well, thanks, Jake. Appreciate you having me, man. I grew up just always wanted to being in a band. I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. The rest of the band grew up in and around Rockville, Maryland. OER's first show was the eighth grade talent show. So we have been friends in a band together uh, for many, many years. My background is rock and roll. So uh, I'm, I'm in a band with my friends. Uh, we also, you know, we look at it as we also run a small business too in a cottage in- industry called rock, uh, rock and Roll and OAR. So that's the way we approach it. That's the way we treat it. We've been getting after it, living our dreams ever since we were kids. So that leads me to an interesting first question for you. Um, you, know, you said it's an industry and um, your industry, OAR, has been very successful and you guys have been doing this for 20 years. And I can remember starting to listen to you guys and attending your first concert 20 years ago, which, by the way, in my opinion, you're, you're one of the best live bands to ever perform in the history of music, but that I'm a bit biased. But uh, how do you make that work over a 20-year period to, to keep a band together, still working great, still being relevant? Well, we're always constantly striving to create something authentic that resonates not only with ourselves, but with our audience. We just try to have a real honest representation of who we are and what we're dealing with, what we're going through. 
And fortunately, that does resonate with folks. A lot of it's mutual respect. We all have our own role within OAR, not only on stage, but in the studio, but also in the organization as well. We get up every day and we work on OAR. And I think that's a big part of it and a testament to our success along with our team that we have. We have a bunch of talented folks around us. You know, we're buddies first and we're family first. And I think that's very important. We have a mutual respect and appreciation for each other. You know, we just navigate these crazy waters together and uh, do the best we can. You, you, made the, you made the comment, Jerry, that you guys are a family first. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times in family, there's, there's conflict. So, you know, in, in the military too, you know, a lot of times we operate in small teams. And so you'll get, you'll get a little bit of conflict there. How, how do you guys work through that when, when that does happen? I mean, really, it's probably there's probably some uh, things that are quite similar. You work for what's best for the group, even at sometimes that comes at a personal sacrifice. Pick everybody up when they need it, uh, really. You know what I mean? You support each other when it's needed. That's really a big part of it. Is we we're in this together. We know that we recognize that we appreciate that, and we do the absolute best we can to uh, operate as a unit. To let the listeners know, you guys are no stranger to the uh, military world either. I know you've done a lot for for the troops. I know you guys actually made a trip to Iraq, I want to say around the 2009-10 time frame. We were in uh, Kuwait and Iraq. Uh, We were part of a USO trip over there. It was uh, an amazing experience, an eye-opening one where I gathered such great perspective and appreciation for the folks in the armed services. And we certainly appreciate everybody's service. You know, and we also try to do our best to help our veterans as well. As well. We work with IAVA, Folds of Honor, Tomahawk Foundation. Uh, we've worked with Gold Star families as well. So we recognize and we feel we have a moral obligation to give back and support our troops. And we do the best we can to do so. I know it's greatly appreciated and it was greatly appreciated. You know, when I deployed, your albums definitely were on my playlist all the time. And um, for those of you who haven't listened, uh, I think that trip resulted in a song called War Song. I know Mark talks a little bit about, you know, what you guys saw over there and you kind of transformed it into a song. So just give you a little plug. It's a great song and our listeners should definitely go and check that out. Yeah, we just listened a lot when we were over there. We had a great opportunity to just meet a ton of folks. And we listened to their stories and basically compiled it all into one song, all those experiences. And now folks should check it out. Is OAR completely utilitarian? Do you guys do what's best for the band no matter what? Is it, hey, I have to put my ego aside and I have to realize that, you know, this is a democracy. And and is it always OAR first? Yeah, we understand that we're all, again, we're all in this together. Uh, we have this great opportunity to do what we've, we love and what we've always wanted to do. We're in a rock band called OAR. It's great. It's awesome. You know, it's, it's, and we've had a great amount of success and we appreciate that. So yeah, we, we work as a unit to accomplish what's best, uh, best for the band. Sometimes it's a very democratic process. Sometimes it's not, uh, and everything in between, but the, really the, the point is, is that we move together as a group, get things done. I think we've navigated those waters about as best as anybody. I'd have to agree with that very much. You know, one of the things that we talk about on the show, a lot of the things that we talk about on the show is that you find leadership in all different walks of life. And it doesn't, you know, in an introduction of our last podcast, we said the military doesn't own the market on leadership. And one of the goals for this podcast is to show that, you know, even in a group setting like a band, there's 
a ton of examples of great leadership and ways to develop yourself as a leader. So kind of a twofold question, define leadership in your words and part B <laughs> to the question, you know, you're very successful. You've made it. What is, what does Jerry do to still work on himself and, and to better yourself as, as a musician and as a person? Leadership to me, what I always try to do is just do the work and get after it every day. Try my best to be my best at contributing to not only the, the rock and roll side of what I do, but the family side of what I do. And also to try to improve who I am just as an individual with some consistency and striving and thriving to do that every day. Hopefully I can move myself and the folks around me forward. What do I do every day to work on myself in order to strive to get better? A lot of things. I'm in music. So no one ever has that totally dialed in. We can always perfect our craft and work on our craft every day. And that's what I try to do and create more than I consume every day when it comes to music, rock and roll, but then also just the technical ability of working on the instruments or working on creating something out of nothing, which is really my, our job at the end of the day. We got to create something out of nothing. Also, just try to be a good family man always strive to have a better balance between family and work. I'm a fairly vain guy, so I try to get after it and go exercise, whether it's in the gym or, which is now my garage, or just a good run around the neighborhood and get outside. It's an important part of me. Honestly, when I was out on, when we were out on tour so often, it was a great way to see all these different cities that we got to visit. Most of the time we would go out and do these gigs and just see the back of a parking lot or a back of a venue. So just walking out to the, the, uh, the street, making a left and running a couple miles really gave me an opportunity to see a lot of beauty and take in a lot of culture uh, in all the cities that I visited. Really, it's a pretty simple formula, super consistent guy, just getting up and getting after it every day, trying to improve. You've mentioned, you know, you, that there's the creative side of the business and then there's also this like business side, but then you've got your family as well. And you, and you try to find that balance. Like if you, again, you guys have been doing this for a while. I mean, have you found like some tips that, that kind of have worked for you to, to make sure that the, the music doesn't completely consume you and you still have something left over at the end of the day for your family? Again, just constantly working on that one. That's always been a big challenge because I always strive to succeed professionally along with personally. The best way to do that, I feel, is one, you make good business decisions so you don't have to sacrifice the creative ones. And so just staying sharp, just calculating your risk is a, is a big part of that for me. And then on the family side of stuff, just making sure that the time that we spend together is quality time. And I'm always making an effort. I think family always want to see effort, maybe not so much quantity. Folks get hung up on quantity a lot, but it really is the quality and the effort. And if you do those two things, I think you'll be in good shape. Fantastic answer, Jerry. And especially a lot of our audiences are, are people who deploy or he, people who travel for work and even people Absolutely. who don't deploy, you know, you're talking about just travel for work, that quality. I know, again, I'm just kind of being an OAR dork here, but I think Dayard Miod was written about that, you know, Tuesday's coming about, hey, I'm gone now, but I'll be back home, you know? and I. You know, how do you stay focused on that? Like, hey, Tuesday's coming. I'll be home soon. Maybe even when you have a really bad day, you know? Especially early on when we were 
just leaving college, I mean, we just toured constantly. There's probably four or five years that we were pretty much on tour. And even now we do prior to COVID, we still did a significant amount of touring per year. So it was important to us. We structured the tours so that we would be able to go home for double days off during the week. So if we're going to be out, we try to get help. We try to gig five days and be home two days and do that as much as humanly possible. Doesn't always work out, but that was at least a balance. And when we were on and out on the road, we could at least come home, put two days in and provide some relief and some face time with everybody. And that was a pretty good formula that worked for us for a long time. The other part of it is just trying to be present for events as much as possible. It doesn't always work out that way. I've missed more weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, and, and whatever than I'd like to admit. And I understand a lot of the folks listening probably are going to do the same thing. And that's okay. The ones you can make, just cherish those. I think that'll go a long way. Jay, do you still love what you do? No, absolutely. I get to run a small business with my friends. And every day when I finish, people clap for me. So it's not too bad. Man. I, I promise you that. I've been very fortunate that I've, I've gotten to live and achieve the dream that I had since I was a little kid. I've been fortunate that the field and the group of guys that I chose to do it with has allowed me to evolve and change that dream as time has gone on here. Every day is certainly a challenge in rock and roll right now, but we're up for it. And it's been a lot of fun kind of figuring it out with these guys and looking to see what's next for us. I love it because you keep talking about, you know, like there's this, again, I, I say it's like the two tracks. It's the creative track and the business track. And I've, I've listened to some uh, previous interviews with you and you talk about your team being like a board of directors and everybody kind of having lanes within that, that kind of plays to their strengths. Could, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. It's if everybody tried to, to do the same exact job, nothing would get done. And everybody has different strengths and abilities and things. We all just work on different aspects of the business and we try to meet regularly. Usually it's once a week. And we go over, we have an agenda, talking points and to-dos and all kinds of stuff that we, we kind of go and get after and just kind of making sure that we're moving the ball forward. It's been pretty effective for us. Not only professionally has it been well for us, but I think it's also been fulfilling as well to get up every day and be able to go and get after it. It's teamwork. We've been a band for 20 plus years. We're pretty good at teamwork. Joe, you were telling me a story the other day about one of your senior leaders, and it reminded me, it actually reminded me of Jerry, and it actually prompted me reaching out to him for this interview. Would you share that real quick? I recently served in Afghanistan, and, and the, uh, the, the four-star general there, he would, you know, it's, rank, rank is, a, is a pretty big deal in the military, but like no matter where we went, he would always go around and, and shake the hands of, of everybody he saw no matter their nationality, no matter their ranks, no matter their backgrounds. And he would always ask how they were doing. And so when, when I was telling Jacob this story, he kind of, he said, he, he said it was a similar approach uh, to you guys. Yeah, I'll make it quick. We happened into the OAR documentary at Live at Madison Square Garden. We got to meet the band afterwards. And you don't meet one of your favorite musicians every day. So I remember all of this. I'm sure, you, you know, it's not on the top of your um, you know, memory block, Jerry, but you were playing a, a small cafe that was jam packed with about a hundred people, uh, Stephen Kellogg and the Sixers, and you made a guest appearance with them. 
and we were just standing outside the cafe afterwards and you had, you happened to come out and you were like, Hey, you know, it was only a couple months after Madison square garden. You said, Hey, you, you're the guys from, from the, uh, from Madison square garden. And we said, yes, yeah. so we started talking and, you know, and then I think, uh, after we forced a couple tequila shots, you know, in your system, you were silly enough to share your phone number with us. And I just found it amazing that every time I went to a concert or my brother went to a concert, you would take the time to see us. You would come out either before the show or after the show, genuinely ask questions about us. And, and we're just fans, you know, we are fans, but, you know, I don't want to say we're nobody important, but you're a massive star and took the time to actually come out. You even introduced your daughter to us one time when she was traveling with you. And, and when Joe shared that story, I said, that reminds me of Jerry. That's the type of person he is. That's the type of uh, kind of leadership qualities he possesses. Well, thanks. I appreciate you uh, sharing the stories. And I do remember the Kellogg show. So yeah, I always try to put myself in other folks' shoes, try to create an experience that I would want, or at least someone in how someone would approach me. That's really my mentality in all situations is to have a strong sense of empathy and understanding and put myself in other folks' shoes and ask how I would want to be treated. Jared, that's great because Joe and I, in the first episode, that was one of his biggest traits of our most important traits of a leader as is empathy. I find it fascinating that with you guys, it's twofold. You have to have empathy for each other to make it successful as a band, but you also have to, you know, be empathetic to your listeners too and kind of to what they want and into what they they desire. So do those ever, I guess, conflict with each other? Like, hey, this is what OAR needs to do, but hey, this is what our fans want. You know, I kind of say that because I know you guys, you know, you had really kind of a your own sound when when you first started out and you still do, but you went, a, a, you know, some of the songs like Shattered are a bit more mainstream than the Crazy Game of Poker and Hey Girl that really got you on the map, but you had to expand. What were those conversations like in, among the band? I think uh, it's a good observation, Jake. Yeah. Um, sometimes those things are in line. Sometimes they conflict. I think the best thing to do, the most healthy thing to do always is just to be an authentic version of yourself. And we try our best to do that. Hopefully that resonates with folks. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it does. Another great answer. You're almost just, I mean, right in line with all of the things we said. And Joe mentioned that one of his goals for this podcast is to create better versions of ourselves, better leaders, more authentic individuals, you know, being a more authentic self. So who are some of your great mentors through life, Jerry? Who are some of the people that helped you become the person you are and, and help you stay, uh, you know, the individual that you've become? All the guys in the band, all the boys came from just good, solid families and were raised right. And we're very blessed that that was the case. And so those same fundamentals really carry us through life today. And we try to build upon that with our own families. My father's a mentor of mine. I've looked at other folks in my family, but then also someone like uh, Muhammad Ali, who, who stood up and even sacrificed his art and his craft at the height of it for what he believed in has always been something that I strive for. Again, just being as authentic as possible. Seeing authenticity like that at a tremendous sacrifice is something pretty inspirational to me. You mentioned Muhammad Ali. Do you ever study, or do you look to examples of, of people from the past um, to kind of help inform or inspire your leadership? Uh, yeah, I like history 
I like reading biographies and autobiographies and nonfictions and things of that nature. So I, so, and listen to those types of podcasts and audiobooks as well. So I try to draw just from perspective. I try to just absorb other folks' perspective, some that were maybe had similar experiences to me and others that didn't and had vastly different ones. I think always just striving to find and, and gain perspective is uh, a step towards uh, being a better person and being a stronger leader. That's a great answer. And for me, I'm a huge book nerd, Jerry, and I, I'm always reading and I, I love biographies. So I just have to ask, like, what, you know, off the top of your head, what are a couple of the ones that have just really resonated with you over the years? That's a great question. There's a Quincy Jones one I read years ago, just the amount of life experience that he had and the impact he had on the music community spanning generations. I mean, from jazz all the way to modern pop into the eighties and the nineties, pretty remarkable uh, what he experienced and what he went through and what he accomplished. So that's one that always resonates with me um, that I appreciate. I don't know if it was an autobiography, but I think I read a Teddy Roosevelt biography that I, that I dig a lot. That's Joe's guy right there. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. The Edmund Morris biographies of, uh, of Teddy Roosevelt were great. Maybe, maybe that was what I read. I'm not quite sure what it is off the top of my head. It's been a minute, but I always enjoyed him maybe for his bullishness um, of just getting things done and getting it accomplished. I may not appreciate maybe every single thing, but, but he accomplished a whole hell of a lot and, and being able to apply that to my everyday life. I, you know, something that resonated with me. Just wanted to take a moment and thank our newest sponsor, Alpha Coffee Company, a veteran-owned business whose coffee is premium, 100% freshly roasted Arabica coffee. Since their founding, Alpha Coffee has donated over 18,500 bags of coffee to deployed troops. They also offer 10% military discounts and 10% discounts for subscriptions. So purchase their coffee today from their online store or via Amazon Prime. Jerry, how did you choose the saxophone as your instrument of choice? And I know you play a little bit of guitar as well, too. Did it start with the saxophone transition into guitar, or was it guitar more first and then saxophone? Uh, I played it in middle school. Uh, I wanted to be a drummer, and they had too many drummers. And so I went home thinking I was going to play the trumpet, uh, and my uncle had a saxophone. So there you have it. <laughs> it's it's really that simple. And so I did, yeah, I played that all through grade school and middle school. And, or middle school and high school and such. And, uh, and then, uh, my friends and I asked for instruments one, one Christmas to be in a, in a band right around the time the OAR boys are doing the same thing in, uh, in Maryland. So I could play, you know, bass guitar and just basic rock and roll instruments and stuff. I think fifth grade started playing sax. So I, I'm going to put you on the spot and, and kind of a musical question, a little off topic, but a couple of days before before uh, Eddie Van Halen passed, I was asked the question, who are my top three guitarists of all time? I just thought of it when you were talking about that. Who are your top three guitarists of all time if you had to uh, put a number on it? That's a good question. Uh, I go Hendrix one. I would go Eddie two. And I would probably go, probably go Jimmy Page three, just because he wrote and produced most of Led Zeppelin. Yeah, you can't get any argument there. So yeah, it's, uh, that, that's a pretty strong one, two, three. I'd yeah. probably go Brian May number four if I were to uh, uh, stretch it out a little bit. 
Eric Clapton comes up on that list a lot, and I like yeah, uh, it, absolutely. Just because of his um, just because of breaking through, I thought he was really um, you know, way ahead of his time. Chuck Berry is also one of my favorite guitarists, and and I like to have that that conversation. He may not be the same skill level as a lot of those guys, but what he did at that time really pushed him uh, kind of oh, he, he's him over the edge for me. Foundation. It's the fundamentals of what we do today. We have a gentleman that we talk about a lot on the podcast called Simon Sinek. And he talks a lot about, um, you know, when you build a company or you build yourself, you should always start with the question why. And that most people start, you know, with the uh, what basically, hey, this is what we're going to produce. This is how we're going to produce it. And this is why we're going to do it. And he says that, you know, you should start from the inside and go out and start with your why all the time. And then the how and the what will just fall into place. So I guess, you know, one of the things we like to ask our our guests is what is your why when it comes to making music and and and, and living your life? What is your why? Uh, well, if you're talking OAR, rock and roll focused, it's one, I'm living my dream. So I always want to do this and I get to do it. Two, I get to work and create opportunity for others. So those are the two things are are my whys as far as what I'm what I'm doing now. The what part of that is I create something out of nothing. Now, sometimes that's a song. Sometimes that's a live experience or a, uh, an interaction with an individual. And sometimes it's, you know, producing some sort of other piece of creative content that is needed for the band to, you know, express itself. I enjoy that. I enjoy flexing that creative muscle every day and having that resonate with folks. One of the other things we talk about is writing and, you know, the reading portion. And then we talk about a lot of writing. Again, a lot of our, our job, you know, consists of writing. And Joe mentions a lot that you sometimes when you write, you're shaping this piece of wood and it starts out as a piece of uh, just a wooden block. But in the end, uh, you know, it's, it's what you've created, whether it's the bear on the side of the road, uh, totem pole or whatever you want to say. And I mentioned that it's, Sometimes that that creation also means starting new because it's not what you it's not what you had in mind. So when you say you create something out of nothing, I imagine that has to happen to you. And, you know, how do you pull from those experiences when things don't I don't want to call them failures, but maybe it's just not what you want it to be. And do you ever go back on those projects, maybe two, three years later and say, hey, that wasn't what I wanted it to be then. But I really am kind of digging this now and, and let's see where we can go with it. The amount of material that I leave on the cutting room floor, it would make your head spin and have you question why I actually do this. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of the idea. Self-editing is extremely important skill and quality to have a lot more things just never leave the, the cutting room floor rather than actually get it out and to see a public eye or ear. And when creating music, or really any piece of creative content that we produce, I always kind of look at it like you, you use the uh, example of like a piece of wood you whittle down. I use the example all the time, just a block of clay. So it's basically the same thing where get after it layer after layer until it turns into what you would want it to be. That takes a little, some time and reps. And so that's usually how I get to my end result of what I want it to be is just, put the time in and not being afraid to, to self-ed and go back and, and, and trim it down to its most concise and authentic version. What would you, what would you say to people who 
you know, go do the process. Like for me, you know, I'm in the military, but in my free time, I, I blog and that's what I've been doing for, for seven years. And then, you know, this podcast is an outgrowth of that, but you know, that just overcoming that initial fear of, of the blank page, like, how do you, how do you, you know, what would you tell people who are, whatever it is, whether it's music, it's art, it's writing, what, what advice would you give them for, for overcoming that? Sure. Uh, one, nobody knows what they're doing until they're actually doing it. So don't, <laughs> it'll be okay. Uh, second thing. It's uh, like this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah. Just, just do it. Get after it. I also believe don't let great get in the way of good in the sense of nothing's ever done. You know, if you were to ask like, when's a song done? And the song's done when we got to turn it in. When's, it, you know, some video or piece some social posts that we got to put out. When's it done? It's done when we got to put it out. And so it could always be better. It could always have work done to it. It can, we could always do a bit more, but the idea is to do it. The more you do things, the more you write, I think the better at it you get. At least that's been my case. And I don't get too hung up with if it's not perfectly exactly the way I wanted it to be as it went out. It went out. And that was the idea. That's, that's great advice. And I've, I felt the, the same way kind of going through it. And a couple of weeks ago, we had a guy, Michael McClellan, who spent 12 years writing an epic novel. And that's what he kind of talked about is you just, you just have to do the work. And things don't have to be perfect. They just have to be authentic. And so sometimes folks get hung up and sometimes I get hung up on the perfect. People don't want perfect. They want authentic. So give them authentic and you don't have to worry about the perfect part. It's election day today and results haven't come in and, and I'm not going to ask a political question. Don't worry. Um, but I'm just curious. I remember the Dixie Chicks years ago kind of made a comment on stage and, and that really kind of derailed their entire career. And I find that OAR has, has quietly been able to kind of share with their fans, you know, some of their, their personal beliefs and, and some of the things that they would like to see, you know, out of the world. I, my question is, how do you get away with that without, you know, kind of, I guess, pissing a lot of people off? Well, one, we, we've always prided ourselves that an OAR show and an OAR experience brings people together instead of divides. And so we try to hyper-focus on that. What can we do that, that brings people together? Uh, there's plenty of division out in this world right now. Uh, what we choose to focus on is what can we do to bring people together? create a great experience for everyone. I also try to focus on expressing and promoting ideas instead of in principles, instead of individuals that's helped kind of navigate those kind of tumultuous waters. But at the same time, it's just about expressing ourselves in a, in a way we can confidently and authentically do so. We felt that creating an environment that was a healthy and safe space for everybody was the most important thing for us. I can uh, attest to that and the authenticity of your comments because I was at a concert once and I remember uh, very specifically that Mark stopped in the middle of singing a song because there was, uh, there was a female crowd surfing and I guess I wasn't around her, but somebody or something happened where she was not comfortable and she was not okay. And Mark had stopped the show immediately and just said, and started yelling, hey, like I think the exact phrase was, she obviously doesn't like that, you know, put her down or, or something. Uh, and I remember just in the middle of a song, like, I don't know how many artists would do that to really pay attention to the crowd and what's going on and, and to take the, 
the time to adopt your art to say, hey, no, this is this is something else that's going on that needs to be dealt with. So, well, if we can't keep people healthy and safe, then we can't entertain them. Pretty common sense to us. So then what's next for OAR and what's next for Jerry? Yeah, that's a great question. Right now, we're there's no real solid answers in rock and roll as far as what the next steps are for things. So, or at least long-term. Short-term is that we stay home and stay healthy and safe and keep everybody else healthy and stay safe by not doing big concerts and things like that. Then also just creating content and getting ready for when we can go and get back out there. And we're also working on opportunities and ideas of how to reach and engage our audience, either through performances or through other types of stuff. We're home, we're creating content, enjoying a little bit of time off the road too. We've, we've had plenty of, plenty of time out there and, and gigging around and things. So we're enjoying and cherishing our families. Yeah, I was very disappointed. I told you via a text that the Red Rocks concert being canceled. I completely understand, but uh, we'd been waiting a while for that one. And I think it was going to be pretty, uh, pretty cool. Yeah, well, you know, we'll we'll be able to get out there and get after it again. And and all of us be able to enjoy the live live music experience. So I have one final question. Joe, you have any other questions? No, I'm just I'm along for the ride right now. This is great. So I just have one one final question, Jerry, and that is, um, are we going to see favorite book of poetry in an album anytime soon? Uh, that's, that's a good song. I I think I even pitched that one. I dug it back up and, and, and put that back on the table at some point a little while ago because I, I, I dig that one a lot. Um, who knows? You know, that's a good question. Again, we, we there's so many things and we're excited about writing and expressing now. Uh, sometimes some of those gems get a little bit lost in the shuffle. That's a good one. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that song. I always enjoyed that one too. It's, a, it's one of my favorite early writings of Mark. Yeah, I really do enjoy it. And I, I remember hearing the first version of Dakota and, and Mark had said, this isn't going to sound anything like this on the album. And it really didn't. So I, you know, I'd be super interested to see what that song, what you guys can do with that now that you, you've really built out your, your bass and, and you know, with the mm-hmm. percussions and, and even added Michael Parrish to the to the band too now. So um, I imagine that could be a really uh, uh, a really good uh, uh, piece of work. But yeah, it's a good one, uh, Jerry. I can't thank you enough for sitting down with us. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, you know, I enjoyed this time. I think you really had some uh, really great insight and uh, and some really great comments. Well, good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. All right, Joe. Thanks, any Jerry. No, that's it. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. Thank you again to all our listeners for joining us on another episode of From the Green Notebook. Check us out at fromthegreennotebook.com, where you can download past episodes, read some of our previous blog posts, and sign up for our monthly reading list and Sunday email. If you enjoy the podcast so far, please subscribe and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at FTG Notebook, as well as Instagram and Facebook. You can find us by just searching From the Green Notebook. So this is Jacob Goronsky signing off. And hope you tune in to our next episode. I came from the mud, desert on my hands. Strong like a tree, there's roots where I stand. Oh, I've been running from the law. Hope they won't shoot me down soon.